You're listening to the West Conroe Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on West Conroe, please visit our website at wcbc.us. We have a whole lot more to get excited about with the Lord God that we have. And he said, shout triumphantly, celebrate God's goodness. Let yourself get excited about God's good things. Thanksgiving this morning. In fact, we're going to talk about how to really celebrate Thanksgiving. So this ought to be practical for you today. It's kind of timely since Thanksgiving is just four days away, and uh, we're going to jump right in it. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is specifically a psalm of Thanksgiving. It's a very short psalm, five verses, and, uh, but it speaks directly to us about giving our praise and thanks to the Lord. Let me ask you, if you will, to honor God's word by standing with me. The psalmist writes and says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself, he is God. It is he who has made us and not We ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Please be seated. I thought this week as uh, we looked at this message that I would kind of go back and look at and share with you a little bit of the history of Thanksgiving. Sometimes we take things for granted. We don't really know uh, why we're doing it. Well, it's turkeys are on sale, something, I don't know, lots of football games, so we call it Thanksgiving. No, there's more to it than that. So I want to give you a little history. The, the, the Thanksgiving that is most prominent in our history was probably not the first Thanksgiving. But it's the most prominent, one we remember the most. And it was conducted by a group of people called pilgrims. Where did the pilgrims come from? Is that, I don't know, maybe I'm weird. Did you ever just sitting around one day on some some hot summer afternoon drinking lemonade on the porch and say, I wonder where those pilgrims came from? What were they up to? (laughs) Well, King James of England is most well known for authorizing the translation of the King James translation of the Bible that was printed in 1611. Some of you may even have that copy in your lap. The reason it's called the authorized version is it was authorized by King James. It was made legal by the king's edict to print and distribute into the churches of England. However, what you may not know is 
Before James ever authorized the printing or translation of the King James translation of the Bible, James was not well appreciated by many of the people in England, especially those who disagreed with the Church of England. Now, you remember the Church of England was created by one of the kings who did not like the Catholic Church because he wanted to get divorced, and they wouldn't allow it. So he just said, great, I'll buy my own church. Boom, we're the Church of England. And so he created the Anglican Church. And, there, and, and James was not tolerant whatsoever with those who disagree, and there were a number of them. They were generically called pilgrims when they left and sailed to the new world, but before that, they were known as separatists, or they were known as Puritans. Two different groups, both believed pretty much the same, but they had different philosophies about how it ought ought to take place. The Puritans believed the Church of England still had a chance, and we just need to purify it. We need to refine it. We need to get all the crud out of it and, 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 and make it better, and it'll be good. The separatists said, we're done. Cut its head off. We're moving out. We're separating. We're going to create our own churches. Oftentimes, these separatists were called Brownists because they followed the teaching of a pastor by the name of Brown who preached such audacious things as the priesthood of the believer and salvation by grace through faith alone, not of works, and of baptism by immersion after salvation as a demonstration of their faith and the autonomy of the local church. Sound kind of familiar with you? Yeah, those are a lot of the tenets that we hold as Baptists, and many of those Brownists or Separatists were Baptists, became Baptist churches. Well, uh, the, the group decided they were being persecuted. Uh, if, in fact, if you did not go to church in James' day, tomorrow you would have a policeman at your door giving you a fine of one shilling. That's right. Didn't go to church, you get fined. Chris, I think that may be a new stewardship idea we start working on <laughs> So anyway, they, they, they were, and, but they were persecuted far beyond that. So they fled England into the Netherlands. They were there trying to find a home, moving around until 1620 A.D. September of that year, actually in August of that year, they attempted to sail, but they got on a leaking ship. That is not a boat you want to be on when you're trying to cross the Atlantic. And uh, they sailed it out and... Um, They thought they had fixed it, hadn't fixed it. It was leaking worse. They sailed back. They got a new ship called the Mayflower. And they took off in September. They landed in November of 1620, 66 days at sea. Two died on the journey. But bitter winter had already set in, and so they hastily started trying to throw together some shelters, some huts, places to live. They did have some help from some friendly Native Americans there. But during that first winter of 1620, half of the pilgrims died. 
illnesses, hypothermia. They just died. The next spring, they got some help from those friendly Native Americans. And this is where the story becomes familiar to us. They taught them how to fish. They taught them how to plant vegetables and corn. And lo and behold, God, God shined upon them in that spring and summer of 61. And they had a bountiful harvest. So in October of 1621, they declared three days of feasting. It was attended by 90 Native Americans, according to one historian that was there, and 53 pilgrims. We call it our first Thanksgiving. There were some others earlier, actually, in Virginia, but I don't want to pop your bubble. I like this story better. George Washington, we do know this is true. George Washington made the first national proclamation of the government for Thanksgiving on the first Thursday of November in 1789. About 80 years later, Abraham Lincoln in 1863 proclaimed the last Thursday of November to be a national holiday. Not to be outdone, Congress came along in 1941 passed a joint resolution that the last Thursday of the month would be a national holiday, Thanksgiving. Now, here's kind of a funny thing that I didn't realize this year, or I didn't realize at all until this this last week I was reading up on the history of Thanksgiving, and that is sometime the last Thursday of November is the fifth Thursday. What to do? So... Congress passed this law, and for a number of years, when there were months of four four Thursdays, the fourth Thursday was Thanksgiving, as it is this week. But when the month had five Thursdays, there were several states, including Texas. And brother, we waited till that last Thursday. We hung it out another week. Texas did that until 19... Well, let me ask you a question. When you think about Thanksgiving, there's all kind of, you know, feelings, emotions, aromas, flavors, memories associated with with that. What do you think of? I was watching a a college football game yesterday. It was halftime. And they were interviewing some of the, uh, they they had done a spot another time. But they had had interviewed some college players about what they thought of uh, at Thanksgiving. You know, and it was basically kind of boiled down to uh, family, food, and football, and not necessarily in that order. But they all, common denominator was they all loved turkey. I remember one guy, he had to be about a 495-pound lineman, I'm guessing. But he said, I just eat all day. He said, last year I think I ate seven times. <laughs> I don't know, well, we're working on another 500 pounds here. But anyway, I mean, for a lot of us, that's it, right? It's, 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 uh, it's family getting together. It's, it's playing games, watching football, and eating turkey. Turkey is, seemed to be the mainstay. It was the common denominator. One guy said ham. I thought, well, you're a weirdo. <laughs> but turkey and I saw, I, I, I did a little looking into this turkey business. And do you know that 90% of the turkeys that are bought in America this week are butterball turkeys? 
How many of you got butter balls already? Some of you? How many of you are going to get butter balls? You had not got it yet. There's some more. All right. Okay. Butterball turkeys. Butterball turkeys are so popular. Do you know there's even a butterball crisis line? <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. You might need to remember this Thursday morning in case you get into trouble. There is a butterball crisis hotline. So if you get up on Thanksgiving morning, you don't know what to do or something doesn't look right or your turkey's in a bad place or whatever, you call the Butterball Hotline. And they had some of the past calls, past history calls on their, the Butterball website. So let me share with you a couple of them. I thought kind of cute. One of them was a lady who called on Thanksgiving morning in a panic in, in how to cook her bird. And the staffer said, okay, ma'am, it's, it's all right. Just calm down. What, kind of, what, what state is your bird in? And she said, Florida. <laughs> another, lady, another lady called and said, I don't know what to do. Butterball lady said, what do you mean, ma'am? True, true stuff. You can't make this up. She said, I don't know whether to deep fry my turkey or my Twinkies first. What do you think? The last one's my favorite. This is from a guy in Arkansas. I think his name might have been Kofor, not positive. But this guy from Arkansas called and said, hey, I just got a question. And the lady's butterball line said, okay, what's that? He said, I needed to split my turkey, and it was frozen solid, so I split it with my chainsaw. And I'm wanting to know if the chainsaw oil is going to hurt the meat on the turkey or not. Well, I want to tell you, I think the psalmist has a better idea for us. He's got a better idea this Thanksgiving how to really celebrate. Now, when you, look at, when you look at Psalm chapter 100, it's a psalm of thanksgiving, but it's a very simple psalm. It's obviously a psalm, even if it wasn't even, even in the book of Psalms, uh, because it has two stanzas, two strophes, as they're called, two stanzas, and each stanza has two parts. There is a call to thanksgiving and then there is a cause for thanksgiving. So let's just take the, the psalm as it is and just look at it very simply. And it's not going to be long. But first of all, in stanza one. Stanza one begins in verse one. And the call are three commands. There are three commands on how to give thanks to the Lord. The first one, he says, is shout triumphantly to the Lord. The psalmist is saying, you and I, we ought, to, we ought to celebrate God's goodness. We ought to enjoy it. We ought to get emotional about it. Now, we Baptists have problems with that. I, I, I hate to tell you. We may need therapy in this, but we, we are sort of emotionally restrained. Somebody says, Amen. Three people looked at you when you did that. <laughs> what? What's happening over there? You know? I mean, we're just kind of, 
shy and wallflowery. Don't want to get, you know, every time, every once in a while we really get in the spirit and we. (laughs) Hallelujah. There you go. But these, these Jews knew how to celebrate the world. I'm thinking about King David. You remember when King David recovered the Ark of the Covenant and he was bringing it back into Jerusalem? He was dancing. He was praising God. He was singing. He was shouting. And his wife called him down for it. Said, look at you. Aren't you a sight for sore eyes? Dancing out there. Who do you think you were trying to impress? And David said, not you. I wasn't dancing for you. We're going to get excited Thursday. I'm going to get excited. I already know. I don't know who all is playing. I know the Cowboys are playing, right? I'm sorry. I, I do like Cowboys. I'm sorry. Anyway, there are going to be a lot of football teams on playing, and you're going to be watching on your go, man, go, run, run. What are you, Ralph? What are you doing? You're blind. You know, you're going to be yelling and screaming. We have a whole lot more to get excited about with the Lord God that we have. And he said, shout triumphantly, celebrate God's goodness. Let yourself get excited about God's good things. Second thing, amen. Here's the second command, first verse, second command about how to give thanks. He said, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Demonstrate God's goodness through obedience to his word. Saying thank you is one thing. Showing thank you is quite another. So the psalmist invites us to come into the temple shouting with joy and serving God with obedience. And then he says the third thing. He says, worship him with joy. Express your love to the Lord God. Come before him with joyful singing. Now, why should we do that? I told you, each verse, two verses, each verse has a call and it has a cause. So now he's going to lay out the cause. Why should we do this? Well, number one, he said, know that the Lord himself, he is God. Why should you give thanks? Because he's God. He's the only thing that really deserves our thanks. If anybody deserves our gratitude, if anybody deserves our praise, it is the almighty, omnipotent, omniscient God. And the psalmist says, duh, it's a no-brainer. Give praise. Give thanks to the almighty God because he is God. Number two, here's the second cause. Second reason you ought to do this is because he created you. He created you. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. Let me tell you something. This ought to make make you feel better. Every one of you, before you were ever even conceived in your mother's womb, God knew who you were. And God designed you. God put you together. Every one of you bear the fingerprint of God on your life. You did not climb out of a DNA mud puddle. 
You were shaped. You were formed. You were crafted. Not by a potter, but by the master. He made you. Thank him. Thank him. And then thirdly, the psalmist says, you ought to give thanks to God because God says you matter. Now, I paraphrase that, but I want you to look at what he says. He says in verse 3, we are his people. And we are the sheep of his pasture. God, God did make you. But God didn't just make you to float through the cosmos. God made you with a purpose. He wants you to know him. He wants you to fellowship with him. He wants to love you. He wants to pour out his grace and his blessings on your life. And it's not because you have some education or you're of some racial nationality or some ethnic nationality or because you're of some financial demographic that you matter. You matter because you matter to God. God Almighty gives us our value. He gives us our worth. And he said, you're worth everything to me. You are my people. You're my sheep. And I'm your shepherd. And I'm going to look at it after you. Verse stanza one. Give thanks to the Lord. Stanza number two begins in verse four. Again, it's the same way. There is a call to give thanks, and then there's a cause for giving thanks. The call is in verse four. And he, he, there's two commands here. Number one, he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And then he says, give thanks to him, bless his name. Verse 2, call, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now what the psalmist is telling us here is draw near to the presence of God. He's giving us an invitation this morning. And he's drawing a picture. Read it carefully. Listen. See if, you, if this brings something to mind. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. The psalmist is drawing a picture here of someone standing outside the temple. And they're wanting to come in. And the psalmist said, God's inviting you to come in. Come on in through the gates. Come on into his presence. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now, he's drawing a picture, but he's also describing a process. And I'm going to describe that process in just a minute. But he says, enter, enter his gates with thanksgiving and, the second thing, his courts with praise. Singing. Shouting. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we were uh, doing that prayer series, and I preached a message on the prayer of praise. And I mentioned these eight Hebrew words for praise. One of them was todah, which means to give thanks. And the other one was tehillah. Remember I said not tequila. <laughs> right here, verse 4, Psalm 100. 
There's both of those words. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Toda. And into his courts with praise. Tehillah. To sing joyfully to the Lord. He's describing a process of of a man or a woman coming into the temple. Everybody enters the same gate. But they all can't go to the same place. The women can go to a court. The men can go to the court. I, as a Gentile, have to go to a different court. But we're nearing him. We're coming into his presence. We're in his temple. And we're praising him, but we cannot go all the way into his presence. At least, not yet. Not yet. So, the psalmist invites us to come, come into the gates Come through, come into the courts. It's a universal call for all the earth, not just for men, not just for Jews, not just for women, but for all. To come in in all the courts, fill all the courts. Give him thanks and bless his name. Why? Here's the cause. Number one, because God is good. God is is good. Now, I don't know why you came this morning, and I don't know where all of you are in your spiritual journey. But if you forget everything else I say this morning, would you remember this? God's purpose for you is good. It's not evil. God wants to give you life. God's done everything to give you life. He doesn't want to hurt you. He doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to give you life. God is good. Give him thanks. And then he said his loving kindness is everlasting. You ought to underline that word loving kindness right there. More than any other adjective in the Old Testament, God is described as loving kind. Hesed. Hesed. Steadfast love. He loves me no matter what. He loves me when I'm good. He loves me when I'm disobedient. He loved me even before I came into existence. His love is everlasting. And his power never gives out. He is faithful to all. Did you catch that little word? He is faithful to all generations. This psalm right here is a psalm of thanksgiving. And the psalmist is writing this thanksgiving, painting a portrait of what God's people could do right then, but what God envisioned for all of eternity. In God's goodness, in God's faithfulness, in God's love, God gave us his son. And now, now, we all, can come right into his very presence. When the psalm was written, that was not the case. Back then, God had a temple for his people to come into. 
this morning, God has a people for his temple where he enters. And it was all done through Jesus Christ. He wants to come into your life. He wants to come and live with you. He wants us to understand how to really celebrate Thanksgiving. tuning in to the West Conroe Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. West Conroe Baptist Church is located at 1855 Longmire Road in Conroe, Texas. You can join us live every Sunday at either 8 or 11 a.m. in our main worship center or on our YouTube live stream. For information, sermons, events, and more, please visit our website at wcbc.us.